The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. As we're marching along, we, I remind you what we ended with last week. When Jesus went to Nazareth and he was um, confronted by critics who rejected him in his own hometown, uh, we were talking about expectations. And you can expect to serve the Lord as you encounter criticism. I mean, it's going to happen. And respond as Jesus did. And you might remember that Jesus kept speaking the truth in love. He also kept serving them. But he was shocked by their unbelief. So thinking about that, I, I was thinking about today's theme, enlisted to serve. And highs and lows are kind of the theme for the month of February. We started on the low, but now this is going to be a great high. And it comes from Mark 6. And I thought about the first job I ever had. Um, Acme Markets. And um, I was one Saturday morning sleeping in my bed soundly, and I heard my mother yelling that I need to get up. And I said, why do I need to get up? It's a Saturday morning. She said, you're going down to Acme Markets to take a job. And for years, I blamed my father for this. <laughs> but I found out later that it was my mother's idea. And so when I was 16, I started working at Acme Markets. And uh, I went there at first to do one thing. I pushed carts on Saturday. Now, it doesn't take a lot of talent to do that. They only paid me $2.40 an hour. But as I started working at Acme Markets for Big Al, that was our boss, I noticed they never gave me a job description. They never laid it out what I was supposed to do. I just had to learn as I went along. So I learned how to push carts, and I learned how to sweep the floor, and I learned how to stack stuff up on the shelf, and I learned how to do price changes, and eventually I worked in produce, and I did checking some, and I built displays at the end of the, of the aisle, and, and all these things I did as I was being taught along the way. But the one thing that was always true, you do what the boss says, right? <laughs> that, was, that was a given, man. Whatever Big Al said, that's what we did. You know, being enlisted is a rather interesting journey. Jesus, earlier in Mark, and in the history of his relationship with his apostles, said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you King James says, fishers of men, fishers of people. I'm going to teach you how to fish for others. And they left their nets. They left everything to follow him. That was a big turning point in their lives. And so for about the next six months or so, we think, he was instructing them on basics. But then we get to the day, and they were watching him. They were watching him preach. They were watching him exercise demons. They were watching him heal people. They were listening. They were being exposed. He took them through some life experiences. And um, the time came for them to now be enlisted into the ministry, into service. And so I'm reading from Mark chapter 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. 
These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt or tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And then I jumped down to verse 30 where it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Mm, how do you enlist people into ministry? Most people who come to a local church are concerned about the music, they're concerned about the doctrine, the preaching, but they really want to make friends and they really want to serve the Lord. And sometimes churches greet them like this. You play by our rules and maybe we'll let you serve. But it shouldn't be that way. It should be like this. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing. And so there's a lot for us to learn here. Um, how should we enlist others into service for the Lord? We're going to talk about the invitation to serve, the instruction to serve, the initiation into service, and then the interpretation of that service. And sadly, many churches aren't very good at this. So let's take it and let's see how the Holy Spirit leads us this morning. We begin with the invitation. And Jesus specifically in this text invites the 12 apostles Apostle means sent ones. They were sent officially by the Lord Jesus. And you'll notice it's a very personal call. It's not a blanket kind of a call. It's, a, it's very specific. And um, none of these 12 really had training prior to meeting Jesus. And they've known him about a year maybe, okay? They hadn't gone to rabbinical school. They, they hadn't. In fact, let's be honest, they hadn't really done too well. <laughs> uh, you remember when they were in the boat and uh, Jesus uh, was sleeping and they woke him up, teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> you know, he had said they're going to get across the, the, <laughs> the lake, but they didn't believe it. They thought he was going to drown with them. And he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, quiet be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, they, they, they weren't exactly A-plus students, right? They, they were having some struggles. We all have struggles. If we wait till we get it all perfect, we'll never try to serve the Lord because we don't get it perfect. All right? That's just part of the journey. But there comes the time, and Jesus invited them. And they recognized something out of that boat experience, didn't they? Well, he'd shared his life with them, and he went around teaching from village to village. And um, you might remember that back in chapter 1, at the very beginning of his ministry, they caught him praying in a solitary place. After this big crowd had assembled, and they were having all this excitement, and, and he's up praying alone, and Peter or Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. 
That is why I've come. So he'd been doing this. This had been the model from the beginning. And he had been doing it. And now he is going to invite them. It's really not a new mission. It's the extension of his mission. You see that? That's really important. This is what Jesus came to do. And now he's enlisting them to do what he had been doing. And it says that he... (laughs) It's going to send them out two by two. Now, now, aren't you intrigued by that? Like, I wonder how he pa- paired them up. Did he put Simon the Zealot with Levi the tax collector? That'd be curious if he did that. Did he let Andrew go with Peter, his brother? I don't know. We don't know those details. We just know that he sent them out two by two. And you see, they're now in this stage where they're going to become disciple makers. They are themselves disciples. They are following Jesus. But now they're going to teach others how to do that. And that's a very important step in the process. They went two by two. Maybe it was because the law said you had to have two witnesses for it to be valid. But maybe also it was just really for mutual support, companionship, and even protection. Two are better than one, Solomon said, because they have a good return on their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three stands not quickly broken. That's really the key here. They went out two by two, but really it was three. Right? Because the Lord was with them. So it was three. And he was with them. And that's what he has to teach them. That's what he is teaching them. He also, interestingly enough, gives them authority over the impure spirits. And if you're going to have victory over impure spirit, guess what? You better get the power from Jesus. You better trust in Jesus. James says it clearly. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't try to take on the devil by yourself or even with a group of others. You need the power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ to rebuke the enemy. That's what he had done. That's what he gave them authority to do. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I I was taught one time that roaring lions mean they're hungry. (laughs) I was in a zoo one day and the lion roared and every animal in that was like, you know, they were were paying attention. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Listen, we sit here in this nice warm sanctuary. There are brothers and sisters in the family of God today who are enduring battles with the enemy that are much more intense than what we're enduring. And this is part of our calling. Suffer with me, right? For the gospel by the power of God. That's what we memorized in 2 Timothy. And here Peter's saying the same thing. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, he gave them authority over the 
devils. And he also gave them the ability to heal sicknesses. This is something Matthew mentions. And he also told them to proclaim or preach the kingdom of God, which is something Luke mentions in the same story. This is not a new mission. It's the extension of the mission that he's already been doing and showed them how to do and taught them. It's rather interesting, isn't it, huh? Jesus does the inviting. He does the enlisting. If I ever stand up here and try to guilt you into service, throw tomatoes at me. Do something. That is not the proper way to motivate people to serve the Lord. Let Jesus lead them. I've been amazed through the years as I've watched how God has led how God chose people. In my last church, we had something called the nominating committee. Oh boy. Everybody wanted to be on the nominating committee because they wanted to make sure their friends got put in the places they needed to be. And it was not pleasant. I hope they don't watch, but if they do, it happened. At one season, we decided, you know, we're gonna do this differently. So we took the membership role and the ballot of open places and we told the committee to go in their prayer closets and pray over it for a month. Don't say anything to anybody else. Don't say anything to the people that you're praying over. Look at the jobs. Consider how the Holy Spirit is leading you, who you might nominate to be in those positions. Brothers and sisters, it was amazing. They would get back a month later and their names were very similar on the ballots, sometimes exactly the same people. And how affirming it is to go to somebody and say, we've been praying for you, and we think God's calling you to be in this office or this position. Would you consider doing it? I mean, it was so beautiful, and it was just so much the way it ought to be, rather than the politicism that sometimes had gone before. Jesus does the inviting. This is what Peter tells us. To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Not because you were coerced, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Man, it's disgusting when people want position to make money. We recently had a pastor here in Colorado that stole money from people. That, that's just so disgusting. But it happened in the first century too. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when Christ, the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now whatever office, whatever position, whatever ministry you enter, let Jesus be the one calling you to it. And when you're called... May the church give you the authority and the resources you need to do it. It's so frustrating. Pastor asked me to do this, and then you go, somebody, oh, no. Blah, blah, blah. People walk away from church for stuff like that. May it not be. May it not be so. I like what Dr. Osborne said. Do not use ministry for profit. Serve to glorify God. See, he does the inviting. That's so beautiful, that's so basic, that's so, that's so wonderful. He also gave some instructions, and he talked about packing, and he talked about clothing, doesn't he? And he says, take 
nothing for the journey. What? Did he mean that? Oh, yeah. Except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt or tunic. What are you going to pack? You're going to pack light. You probably need a staff. That's okay. And clothing, sandals are all right, but don't take the expensive ones. There's some debate in some of the other Gospels. They say don't take sandals, but maybe they were different type. Maybe it was a second pair. I'm not really sure. But I see this as he's calling them to trust him to provide and to lean on the hospitality of others. Very interesting. This is a faith mission, right? This is we're going to trust God. And that's what he's doing. Now, there's some interesting imagery here. Um, Barclay, again, uh, when it goes into some detail about the clothing they would wear, most of them all took a staff. Exodus 12:11 says, you know, practically everybody has a staff. The tunic was a simple long piece of cloth sewn down one side. It reached down to your feet. Holes were cut for your head and your arms, kind of like a sack, <laughs> really. That's kind of the undergarment. And then the outer garment was the main uh, article of clothing, and it was used to clothe you in the day and as a blanket for nighttime. It's normally seven foot by four and a half foot, usually two strips of cloth. They were sewn together. Jesus had a tunic that was seamless. Do you remember that? And they bartered for it at the cross. But that's that un outer garment. Then the girdle. Yeah, man, even more girdles. Well, that's what's tying it all together. You remember that? Like, that's really what it is. And sometimes they would have a slip in it to put money in, in the belt or in the girdle girded around. They often wore headdresses. Uh, they were kind of lengthy and long because they're protecting themselves from the sun, their, their eyes, their cheeks, and, of course, the back of their neck. And they had sandals that were just flat shoes with a thong. They had wallets. The ordinary wallet was made of goat skin, and you'd normally put a day or two's worth of food in it as you traveled. But Jesus tells them, don't take any food. And there's a second uh, wallet that was used for priests to collect offerings. That's a specific wallet. But again, he's telling them, don't take any money. He's doing all this so they will rely on him and they will rely on hospitality. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So as we move along, we see that he talks about this. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Listen, if there's a nicer house down the street, don't gripe about it. If you're staying at Motel 6, that's all right. Maybe somebody else is in the Hilton. It doesn't matter. Just receive the hospitality that God provides for you. And then there's going to be some people that won't accept you. <laughs> and if they don't welcome you and they won't listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Wow, that is interesting image, isn't it? So when an Orthodox Jew would go to a Gentile land, when they get back, they shake that dust of the Gentiles off their feet. This pattern is found in the book of Acts a couple times. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of that city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. You see, it's a warning. 
It was hopefully prompting them to ask more questions to find the Savior. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest against them. This is a, a different shaking, but it's a similar idea. Your blood will be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So you see that shaking is a sign of judgment, and they're choosing to resist what God wants to do. True service for Jesus depends on him. So travel light. What a good word, travel light. Don't worry about what car you drive or what clothes you wear or what food you're eating. Travel light. Depend on the Lord for everything. When you serve the Lord, depend on him. It's a trap to start trusting in other places and other things, even in your experience or education. It's a trap. Keep it simple. Serve the Lord. I'm going to tell you a little about this guy. <laughs> His name is James L. Kraft. He was a deacon and Sunday school superintendent of the North Shore Baptist Church outside of Chicago. When he was a young man, he decided he was going to make his fortune by selling cheese. That's right, cheese. And so he made the cheese, got in his little cart, with his pony patty and walked around the city of Chicago selling cheese. Well, it wasn't going too well. So he had a little talk with Patty, his pony. He said, there's something wrong, Patty. We're not doing this right. Our priorities are out of whack. Maybe we ought to serve God and place him first in our lives. He went home and he made a covenant with God that he would serve him first <laughs> maybe, maybe and, and, and for the rest of his life he served God first and then he would work as God directed you and I enjoy craft cheese I would rather be a layman in the North Shore Baptist Church than to head the greatest corporation in America my first job is serving Jesus that's pretty cool isn't it what a great testimony. Rely on the Lord. Rely on the Lord. The initiation into service is very interesting. They went out. They preached. They did what Jesus had told them to do. They saw the model. They preached repentance. That's what he had been doing. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. You know, that, that's what they were saying. And, and that's a key part of the message. And they exercised demons. Many demons, it says, they were able to exercise he cast them out. And again, this is what we had seen Jesus doing earlier. And they healed many. Now, this is distinguished from the exorcisms. You see that. It's a different statement. We Actually, the healing, we get our word therapy from that word. And it, and it means they began to heal people. It became a pattern in their lives. It, it bleeds over into acts as, as they are being used as apostles. And, and that's the pattern. The oil they use may have been ceremonial. Sometimes they used oil for therapy. Sometimes they used it as a medicinal thing. But we see in Psalm 45, the oil of gladness. Yeah. 
And James talks about using oil when we pray for those who are ill. They healed many. This must have been a great time. This must have been a great start for ministry. The success in all its facets. Imagine what they were feeling like after they'd watched him so long. Look at what the Apostle Paul says about his future ministry. I've quoted this to you so many times, you probably can quote it back to me. For to live, for me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He wanted to go to heaven. Don't you? <laughs> don't we realize it's, it's better? Okay. But... He says, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And he did get released from this prison that he was in at the time. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He expected fruit. He expected to see things happen for the glory of God that can't be explained in any other way. Right? That's what Paul expected. And so we come to the debriefing, the interpretation of the service. At the end, in verse 30, it says, they gathered around Jesus and they reported to him. It must have been so fun. They reported what had happened. Their teaching and the activity. And in the report in another place in Luke, and we may get to this again do you remember this? Jesus said, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The greatest miracle you'll ever know is trusting Jesus and knowing that your name is written in heaven. Anything else that you ever do does not compare with the security and the rejoicing and the, and the celebration of knowing Christ. And, and so that's part of the report. He also took them out for a rest. Aren't you glad to see that? Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Right? Get some rest. Yeah, amen. Because so many people were coming and going that they had, did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Get an experience of favorable time of leisure and opportunity, and tell your stories, report to one another, because sometimes it didn't go well and you need to be encouraged. That if it didn't go well for you, but it went well for, for him or for her, and, and you can celebrate that. What, that's so good. It's so important to debrief. It really is. And sometimes we miss this step and we shouldn't. To, to relive the miracles, to tell the stories again, and, and to learn from our mistakes, and 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 to take some rest. <laughs> some years ago, Betsy and I, many, many years ago now, said this is our life verse. This is what we want in life. But what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as your Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what life's about. That's what ministry for us has been about. I often sign cards, your servant, for Jesus' sake. You've probably seen that many times because that's all I am. That's what God called me to be. 
I think George Mueller was having a bad hair day. <laughs> this picture is pretty interesting, isn't it? In Bristol, England, he uh, founded several orphanages. He never would tell people about his needs. He only talked to God about it. And it's quite a testimony. I mean, there's some great stories. Um, he would gather the children together. He did this on several occasions and pray for food and they didn't have any. And then somebody would stop by from the bakery and say, I got some extra bread. You need it? Yeah. And then the milkman, his pony broke down and so he gives him milk. And this happened repeatedly. Okay, he's a man of faith. And probably a man of bigger and greater faith than we have. But, but what a great example. And this is what he said. I think this is so cool. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. I like that. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Also interesting statement. Faith begins where man's power ends. Dear Lord, thank you for inviting us into service. You're the one who does the calling. Lord, may we be quick to say yes, as Brandon Johnson reminded us a couple weeks ago. May we be quick to say yes and not no. And Father, thank you that you equip us, you give us all that we need to do this ministry successful or live our lives successful for your glory. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for the other steps here that have been outlined for us. Help us to depend on you to depend on you for everything. And thank you, Lord, that we're here because of your grace. <laughs> Lord, it was revealed through the appearing of our Savior, and it's still being extended out of all-sufficient grace to each of us. So we receive it today. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Our lives count. It means something for eternity. And for here too. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.